Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. All right. Now, I want to ask a question also. What was your favorite subject in school? Favorite subject? be it high school, college, or um, in our educational system, maybe university or secondary school or even primary school. I want to know. So what was your favorite subject in school? That's important. I want to know. So let me know. What was your favorite subject? That's the first of two questions I have. Oh, someone says mathematics. Someone says food and nutrition. Hmm. Foodie. <laughs> Maths and Yoruba. CRK, hmm, Wordman, Biology, Akimumi Moses says Biology. I used to love Biology also. Um, Yemi says History, Economics, Literature, English, Geography. Yeah, I see a wide range of subjects here. Economics, Literature, Technical Drawing, yeah, and all of that. I see government, I see chemistry. Seriously, chemistry was your favorite. <laughs> the Lord bless you. <laughs> Business administration, pharmacology, you know, and all of that. Pediatrics. Now, I want to ask you this. How many of you were only allowed or required to do the subjects that you liked? How many of you? I mean, when was time for exams? Did they come to you to say, you know, what's your favorite subject? We only want to make sure that we ask you questions from the subjects, only the subjects that you like. Did that ever happen to you? No, we didn't. No one runs a school that way. And the same way when it comes to spiritual growth, that's not how it works. All right. No matter what your preferences are, you know, I've discovered, I've been preaching for quite a bit. And I know that some people um, lean towards some subjects more than others. There are some people that like a teaching on prayer. There are some people who like a teaching on faith. There are some people who like a teaching on spiritual gifts. Some people just have the propensity to lean towards uh, or favor a subject more than the other. And they don't even know it. But when you just look at your bookstore, we see that those books are more predominant than others. Some is purpose, some is kingdom. And things like that. However, I've told you time and again that you can't build any discipline, especially spiritual discipline, if you only do those things when you feel like doing it. You can't build a prayer life if you pray only when you feel like praying. You can't do that. And so the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Feel free to open your Bibles now. The teaching has started in case you are not aware. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2, it says, Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Now, this is Paul's instruction to Timothy, a young minister of the gospel like myself. He says, preach the word. It says, be instant in season and out of season. What does it mean in season and out of season? It means when it's favorable and when it's not. When people want to listen and when they don't want to listen. You know, and it works both ways. The reason why God wants us to preach the word in season and out of season is because he wants you to listen in season and out of season. Meaning, when it comes to the agricultural world, there are some times of the year that only some plants... Can, can be seen, but we never have a time in our spiritual year where our receptiveness to the word of God should dwindle. In season and out of season, we must be ready to hear the word. Let me tell you this. Did you realize in the next verse, he says, for the time will come that they will not endure sound doctrine. Listen, sound doctrine sometimes or almost all the times requires endurance. Meaning many times you might not want to hear it. For instance, you know, we're fresh off um, January. 
We had a, a special month on faith and some people said that, that was the best teaching series ever. And then we entered Love Code. And now we are doing, talking around the, the borders of orthodoxy and you're just like, oh, we're talking about doctrine. Isn't that boring? But guess what? That's how to know you're growing. You see, growing up, we realized that you cannot only eat the foods that you like eating. Have you noticed? It's as if God did it on purpose. That the most delicious things to eat are the most unhealthy. The ice creams and the likes. If you choose to live on chocolate and ice cream, your life, your, your life will not be normal. And those were the things we liked to eat all the time growing up. But we started learning to drink water more. I hope you drink enough water. And then we started learning to eat veg vegetables, even though children don't really like vegetables, you know, and all those kind of things. And that's where discipline comes in. You have to learn to differentiate between the things you like and the things that you actually need. And then the time comes where you begin to take more interest in the things that you need. And you begin to like what you need. That's growth. It says the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. So sound doctrine sometimes takes endurance. You may not want to hear it, but you need it anyway. Greek word translated endurance is anekomai. It means to put up with something. Have you ever tried to tell someone the truth and they don't want to hear it? Well, many times you'll find yourself in that position when it comes to spiritual growth and growing in the knowledge of God's word. You're going to have to put up with it. And so, I want you to interest yourself in this series. Listen, I'm telling you, I told you last week, why at a critical time in the body of Christ, let me put it to you this way. Many people enter into adulthood in different ways. Some just have it normal, they just grow into it. And they experience puberty. And before you know it, their voices for the guys begin to crack, you know, and their body parts begin to change. But for some others, life happened. And they were forced into adulthood. You know, when your parents, I, I, either of them or both of them, just die and you never planned for it to happen that way. Now, that is sad occurrence, isn't it? And now you have to um, start working to pay your fees. Have you seen people who had to do things like that? My great respect to every such person. And it's not easy, but you grow up faster. Can I tell you something? It seems as if the body of Christ is about to experience that. We will be forced to grow up because some of the fathers, whether we like it or not, they're going to transit to glory. They're going to go to the other realm. In the next decade, there will be a couple of such stories. All right. It's either they, they go to the other realm or they just, their involvement in ministry will not be as it is today. So we have to be ready because it almost seems as if, um, even if we're not ready, adulting will be forced on us. So get ready for that. And that's why we have to start interesting ourselves in subjects like this. We have to start interesting ourselves in subjects like this. You know, when I think of subjects like this, there are two categories of people. There are people who don't see the purpose of doctrine. They don't see, why? Why the fuss about it? Why so much talk on doctrine? And there are people who have missed the purpose of doctrine. So I'll talk about the first category of people um, this week, and I'll talk about the next category of people next week. I want to talk about the people who don't... Um, so next week, I'll talk about the people who have missed the purpose of doctrine. Let me touch on that a, um, a bit. The Bible says in Mark chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus talking, it says, making the word of God of non-effect through your tradition. There is such a thing as making the word of God of non-effect through your tradition. He says, which you have delivered and such things as you do. Let me say this to you. C.S. Lewis said this. He gave the analogy of a man who was in a barn, the barn of a farm. Uh, of a farm. And the barn was dark. 
But then in the ceiling, there was a small hole and the sun was shining outside. So there was a ray through that hole into the barn. And you could see the ray. Have you ever seen ray like that before? Maybe there was a small hole and you're in a dark room and um, it's bright outside and you just see a ray of light. What a beautiful sight. And then now this young man realized that he could see the ray. But not just that, he could see because of the ray. Many people don't understand the difference. When a light is on, you can see the light. You can see the light source. But you can also see because of the light. And when you see someone standing in front of a light source, just fascinated and just staring, he has missed the purpose of the whole thing. Because the light is meant to help him be effective in his activity in the room. The light is not actually to draw attention to itself, but to help us effective in every other thing. And this is not a perfect illustration, but it applies to the doctrine of God's word. Pay attention to this. Many people are like a man in the band, fascinated about the ray, whereas the light is meant to help us see other things, not just to see the light, but to see in the light or see through the light. And many people have had a fascination with doctrine and, you know, have just missed the purpose of it all. Doctrine is never to be for doctrine's sake. This is one thing that the Jews miss. It says you've made the word of God of non-effect. It's possible to make the word of God of non-effect because of tradition. All right? I gave an illustration two weeks ago or three weeks ago. I'm not really sure. I said, if someone out of the blues should ask you as a Bible student, is suicide a sin? You have to be smart. I told you a good Bible student knows not every question deserves a simple, straightforward answer. Even Jesus didn't answer questions that way. You want to know why are you asking? Don't just go theological and start giving analogy of Samson. Oh, Samson committed suicide, yet his name appeared in Hebrews 11. Therefore, it's okay. A good Bible student would think of the implications of what he's saying in the hearers. And that's not to say the truth of God's word is not for everybody. If it's true, it's good. But it has to be handled with skill. That's all I'm saying. All right? Another illustration, you know, that came to mind when I was thinking about this is something that happened to me some time ago. I usually don't drive at night, but this particular day, I, I think I was coming from a, um, a preaching engagement, and somehow, by 12 midnight, I was driving. And there was a particular road that is always busy during the day, but was very free at that time. And that road had a traffic light. Guess what? The traffic light was still working at that time. And it was the most frustrating experience. Some of you know what I'm saying. When the road is free and there, there is a traffic light, it has missed its purpose. Because now, there is no traffic, but the traffic light is asking you to stop. And so the traffic light is actually doing the opposite of what is meant to do, to make sure that there's a free flow of traffic. Now you're stopping, and it's so ridiculous. And you know, these days, you don't know who is watching. They say, Pastor, they don't stop for traffic lights. <laughs> you know, and all of that. I won't tell you what I did that night. Hallelujah. But you get the point. Many times, you see the way people handle doctrine, and you just know they've missed the purpose of it all. When it is to elevate your ego, instead of it being a means to declare and proclaim the love of God, then there's a problem. We're going to talk more about that next week. But what we want to talk about today is people who don't see the purpose of doctrine. I mean, you've heard people say silly things about people who are particular about doctrine. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine all the time. I don't know about doctrine. All I know is I love the Lord. I just love God. I just want to serve God. I'm just sincere. Listen, you are sincere, but you're dangerous. And you don't even know it. Let me tell you this. One of the easiest ways to be enlisted in the army of Satan is to be ignorant. 
You might think that's an overstatement, but it's well-founded on scriptures. If you are ignorant of the doctrine of Christ, you will be fighting for Satan and you, don't, you won't even know. Let me tell you, let me give you this simple example in Matthew 16. Jesus just declared, according to the will of God, that he was going to die, die for humanity. And Peter, out of ignorant compassion, grabbed Jesus and began to rebuke him. Why would you talk like that, you know? And out of ignorant compassion, Peter was serving as an antichrist. And Jesus, some people still don't understand why Jesus will respond so sharply. They don't get it till now. Jesus looked at him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. He says, because you sever not the things that be of God. Make no mistake. Many people forget Jesus was a man. He had emotions. And he's preparing himself to do the will of God. Anybody who rebukes him to the contrary is working for the devil. He may not know it. Listen, you don't need a blood covenant to work for Satan. All you need to do is to be ignorant. Forget all those things you've seen in the movies. Some of it is real. But you really don't need a blood covenant. No one needs to slit your wrists for you to do the devil's beatings. Just be ignorant. You will walk for him without knowing. The Bible says, ah, Jesus said, the people who persecute you will think they are doing God's service. They will think. So, ignorance is so dangerous. With ignorance, you change your base. You change your loyalty from God to the devil and you won't even know. You will fight God with passion, with righteous passion. This is one of the oldest tricks in the devil's books. Let me tell you this. Like I said on Sunday, you need to realize that the devil will not always come in a conspicuous way, wearing um, a red cloth and um, a conspicuous horn like a bull. You see, the movies have done a lot to us. You might have seen the devil and not even know anyway. Let me not. But the Bible does say, let me read something to you. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in a lot of times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. You know, a lot of people, when they think, think of seducing spirits, they think of Nigerian deliverance ministries that always target light-skinned girls. Have you noticed? It is always the light-skinned girls in the movies and in deliverance ministries that have demons. And then we say, um, you might hear people say, oh, they were trying to seduce. And that's not to say there is no sexual seduction. But I'm saying... There is another type of seduction that people hardly even talk about. The Greek word planos actually means impostor, pretense, the spirit of disguise. He's telling you the devil is a master of disguise. And what does he, uh, what does he pretend to be? He pretends to be on God's side or on the side of wisdom. Pretends to be an angel of light. The devil didn't show up as someone who wanted to destroy Eve. He showed up as an advisor. Challenging what she already knew. Trying to pervert the word of God. That's the major role of the devil. To tr try it. That's, that's how error started. Twisting the word of God, perverting the word of God. That's what the devil always does. And many of us are always looking for someone who is fierce looking, who is trying to destroy you. Meanwhile, those thoughts in your mind that he keeps bringing by those funny videos that pop up on your YouTube, that's the devil 
those videos that make you question what you know about God, those movies that make you question what you know about God. It's a doctrine approach that the devil takes most of the time. And many people don't even realize it. An imposter spirit. It says the spirit of Christ has spoken expressly that in the last days, many will depart. Giving heed to imposter spirits and doctrines of devils. Jesus warned about this. Matthew chapter 24 verse 5. He says, many shall come in my name. Matthew 24 verse 5. Many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. I said all of that to say this. And don't miss this. That means a good Bible student in the last days will be saddled with the responsibility to differentiate not just what is true and what is false, but what is true and what is nearly true. Because the devil is not going to outrightly present his opinion as false. He's an imposter spirit. He's going to pretend as though his presentation is the truth. And that's why you need to pay attention to doctrine and to details. Because it is no more black or white. You need to watch out for the gray. That's where the devil is. Gray. What is true and what is nearly true? Don't think that the devil's major strategy is to try to get the whole world to attend Church of Satan. No. His strategy is to um, raise up pseudo-ministries. They are registered as churches, but they are not followers of Christ. You have to understand this. Imposter spirits, doctrines of devils. Years ago, I heard of a church... They still they bring animals to sacrifice. Blood sacrifice. A church. In the last days, many people will depart, giving heed um, to doctrines of de devils. This is so important. And how do people fall a victim to these things? Simple. They don't pay attention to doctrine they say silly things like doctrine is not important as long as are we not all serving god that's 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 the communication of a babe that's the communication of someone who has already played to the hands of the devil and doesn't even know this is serious peter was sincere but your sincerity is not enough Listen, there are a lot of sincere people doing the work of Satan. That's what Peter showed us, that there are a lot of sincere people doing the work of Satan. It takes discernment to know. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. It takes more than passion to truly follow God. Peter was passionate. He rebuked Jesus passionately. But he was following Satan without knowing. If you don't, you might be prayerful and be following Satan. You have to study the word of God clearly and objectively. If you don't regard doctrine, you will play into the hands of Satan. You will fight God passionately without knowing. Look at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 verse 27. Acts chapter 13, verse 27. This text is so powerful, it's going to bless you. I want you to listen to this. Oh my God. It says, For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, 
They fulfilled them and condemning him. Listen, these are religious people. They observe the Sabbath. They have assemblies. They go to church. They read the scriptures every day. Read the prophets every day. Yet, because they did not know Jesus, because they did not know the word, they were on the other side of prophecy. They walked on the side of the devil. They fulfilled scriptures in condemning Jesus. I mean, take a moment and think about what I just said. What do you think about that? This is serious. This is so serious. Meaning, if I'm not a good student of the word of God, even the things that the Bible clearly warns against, I can fulfill them propagating the schemes of darkness without knowing. This is a warning. This is a warning. Now, there is something else I want to say which is very important. And pay attention to this. I said this for the first time about five years ago. You know, when you read the story about Jesus and how the Jews condemned Jesus to die, when you read the story about how Pilate said, um, I have here Barabbas and I have here Jesus, who are you going to free? And they all said, crucify Jesus, give us Barabbas. You know, you can't fathom the level of the wickedness and you're just like, why would they do that? It's rubbish. Wicked people. But I want to tell you humbly and authoritatively, that many people in the church of Jesus today would have crucified Jesus also had they been in his day. Now you ask me, how do I know? There's a very simple way to know. It's in the word and I'm going to show you. Turn your Bibles, Matthew 23, verse 29 to 30. So if you're listening to this, I can show you if you would have crucified Jesus had you been in his day or not. I want to show you that. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here, Matthew 23, 29. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. It is because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. You see, they had killed the prophets of old, they killed Isaiah. Isaiah died a horrible death. He was son asunder. I mean, they divided him in two. Such wickedness against the man of God. And now, many centuries after, these people had created tombs to remember Isaiah. And they were going there to drop flowers. You've seen how people do it these days. I don't know what the culture was exactly at that time. But they were doing things like that in memory of the great prophet Isaiah and other prophets, you know, who had been killed. And they were saying to themselves, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have done this. We would not have been partakers. But you know what Jesus said? He says, wherefore, verse 31, ye are witnesses unto yourselves that you are children of them which killed the prophets. How did Jesus know? Jesus was saying, if you were there, you would have killed them. You would have killed the prophets too. How could he have known? Very simple. He knew because they were about to repeat the same thing. The reason why the prophets were killed is because the people were not receptive to the objective teaching of God's word. If they were objective to the, ob to the teaching of God's word, they would have known who the true prophets were. They would have known that the things that were spoken of by the prophets were the words of God. But when you choose to be emotional without being studious, you will fight against God without knowing. And now these guys were going to do the same thing. The Messiah was standing right in front of them. They did not know. They called him names. 
They called him Beelzebub. Some of them out of jealousy, jealousy, some of them out of ignorance. But the fact is, like, like um, I read to you earlier in Acts 13, 27, even though they were reading the scriptures every day in the Sabbath, they still fulfilled what was said, condemning the Christ. There is a receptiveness that we ought to see in you. And if we don't see in you, we will know that you would have crucified Jesus. For instance, when you hear a teaching in God's word and your propensity to challenge it is stronger and sharper than your propensity to study, to know at least if it is true, you would have crucified Jesus. If you are someone who hangs on to what is popular without even really checking what is in the word of God, you would have crucified Jesus. Because that was the issue they had with Jesus. Everything he taught sounded new, even though it was all in the scriptures. But there was so much perversion in the body or in the, in, in the religious sects, circles in those days that someone teaching the truth looked like the heretic. Is it not happening today? There are some things you say, the simple word of God, and people fight you. All hell breaks loose. It's almost as if you have to exercise caution just to preach the word of God freely. If you are someone who, and I want you to answer this question objectively. Ask yourself this. Am I the type of person who just normally gravitates away from anything that sounds new? I just don't want anything to disturb the flow of the word of God as I understand it. I will rather have consistency than have growth. There are people like that. You know, some people, when you talk about the grace message, they haven't sat down to objectively study it for themselves. They keep saying silly things. Oh, but this man of God is teaching this. This man of God is teaching this. You know, someone told me some years ago, he said, so-and-so has been preaching for decades. You have just been preaching for how many years? How can he be right how can it be wrong and you are right? First and foremost, why make a comparison? The word of God is greater than us. Guess what? Maybe I've just been preaching for about a decade. But guess what? Both me and that great man of God met the word of God. Neither of us is older than the word. How about we all submit ourselves to the teaching of the word of God? I, in fact, I'm going to emphasize it in this series. Honor is such an important thing in the body of Christ. Which is why we must honor the word of God above all men. We must honor men in the word. And Jesus tells them very scary, scary thing to say. In Matthew 23, 32, he says, fill ye up the measure of your fathers. Go ahead, act like your fathers. Jesus knew they were going to kill him. Because like their fathers, he was preaching, they wouldn't listen. Hard hearts. Have you seen people? Always quick to argue. You want to explain from the word of God, they wouldn't listen. Always quick to argue. Always quick to interject. Always quick to contradict. I want to share with you three reasons why doctrine is important. Number one, I've already shared with you. It prevents us from Satan's deception. This is such an important thing. That you might be Peter walking closely with Jesus. You, listen, you go to church, you are in a service group, but you are fulfilling the agenda of Satan, not because you don't love God, but because you are not studious, let me tell you something. If you want to really follow God, your passion for him is not enough. You must make sure that you are not ignorant. You must make sure that you're not ignorant. Like I said, orthodoxy, learning the doctrine of Christ, 
presents, prevents us from Satan's deception. Number two, it helps us discern what is true from what is almost true. It helps us discern what is true from what is almost true. Let me tell you something. What is almost true has damaged more souls than what is false in the body of Christ. We have to take doctrine more seriously so that we'll be able to discern what is true from what is almost true. Number three, it preserves the integrity of the truth. We are a transition generation. The batons have been passed, whether we are ready or not. You know, in a relay race, sometimes they hand over the baton, then the person who is supposed to collect it is not ready, wasn't paying attention, and it drops on the floor. And that leads to an automatic disqualification. If we're not careful, that's going to happen. Because whether you like it or yes, when that person has run his, the full length of his race, handed to you. And you better be ready to receive it. Every great man of God serving God in truth, desires that we do better than them. And so, if we take a position that is slightly different, what is most important is that that position is founded on the scripture. All right? Because it's their prayer that we do better. Don't be surprised. There are many things we're going to receive from them. We receive their prayer culture. And the emphasis thereof. The emphasis on the miracles. In fact, there are so many doctrines that have been laid out by the fathers that are a blessing. But where we see opportunity to improve, let us improve. And listen, if you're not particular about that, if you just say, oh, why the falls about that? Why are we always trying to ch change the songs? Why are we always trying to... You're going to play to the hands of the devil. So like I said, number three, it preserves the integrity of the truth. Did I give you number three before? Well, okay, it preserves the integrity of the truth. As a transition generation, we must preserve the integrity of the truth. The Bible says in Jude verse three, a text you know very well if you follow this ministry, because it's very important. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Earnestly contend. So you see, doctrine is not just for some people who have the interest. It's not optional. It's an instruction in the word of God that we should earnestly contend for the faith. He's not talking about charismatic faith. He's talking about doctrine faith. The truth of God's word. Earnestly contend. So we have a responsibility to fight, to maintain the integrity of truth from generation to generation. That is not watered down in our generation. Earnestly contend. Fight for it. This is so crucial. This is so important. It says to contend. And the reason why you have to contend, I've told you many times, epagonizoma is the Greek word there, right? It means to compete as in a race. To race to win. So it's a consciousness to have. The devil is fighting. Oh, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, is running about like a roaring lion looking for whom to devour. One of the worst things that can happen to anybody or a country is to be at war and not know. You'll be caught on our ways and then you are at the disadvantage. All right? So he's letting you know that the devil is fighting against the church. And unlike the movies, his strategy is not just to try to bring sickness and all those things. His strategy is a perversion or the watering down of the integrity of the truth of God's word. And if you are not actively fighting 
To preserve it, you are at a disadvantage because there is a race going on. Contend. Contend. It says hustle. To preserve the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And for this to happen, if we're going to preserve the integrity of the word, the word will have to grow in popularity. I mean the true message. And for that to happen, we have to reckon that it is important. We come to a point where it's not as if um, everyone is speaking their truth. You say, oh, that's your truth. This is my truth. Have you heard people say they want to explain the Bible? They say, the way I see it. What do you mean the way you see it? Are you the author of the scriptures? Please, we don't want the way you see it. We want what it says. Can you rightly divide? We don't want, don't say the way I see it. We want the way it is, not the way you see it. So we must have a mentality that abominates just vacillating towards every wind of doctrine. We must desire a constancy, a stability in the truth of God's word. We must become, we must become circumspect in our doctrinal persuasions. Not that everybody has a point. He has a point. He has a point. You're just saying different things, but they all have a point. We must become circumspect. We must desire. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. We must desire that the body of Christ will come to a point where we all say the same thing. I know it's a long shot, but it's God's will. For there is one faith, one baptism, one hope to which we are called. It's God's desire. We must desire it. It's God's will. I'm just going to show you texts that talk about this. I'll show you three. There's a lot of them, but I'll show you three because of time. Philippians 2.2. Philippians 2.2. Romans chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. And 1 Corinthians 1.10. Philippians 2.2. Romans 15, 5 and 6. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Philippians 2.2 says, Fulfill ye my joy. Be ye like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord and of mind, and of one mind. Wouldn't it be nice to just travel the nooks and crannies of Nigeria to see believers in Jesus Christ, to see believers in Jesus Christ that you never saw before? And by the time you start conversing, you discover that you believe the same things. I mean, you have the same passion. You have the same love. You have the same ideologies in the word of God. That's God's will. He says that we should be like-minded. We should have the same mind. So God's will is not your truth, my truth. God's will is the truth. The truth. Romans 15, verse 5 and 6. Romans 15, verse 5 and 6. It says, now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one towards another according to Christ Jesus, that you may be with one mind and one mouth. Ah, Not just one mind, but one mouth. Not just one mind, but one mouth, that we may be with one mind and one mouth or rather that we, with one mind and one mouth, may glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's will. One mind, one mouth. 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 In the north of Nigeria, one mind, one mouth. In the south, one mind, one mouth. In the UK, one mind, one mouth. In the US, one mind, one mouth. In Ghana, one mind, one mouth. In South Africa, one mind, one mouth. It's possible. Listen, we have to embrace it as the will of God first. And so we must come down from our high horses. When people 
present a view in God's word that we're not used to. The most important thing is not the popularity. We must look at it objectively. And if it is true, we must embrace it. One mind, one mouth. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1.10. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Isn't that powerful? 1 Corinthians 1.10. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you. Let me tell you this. Denominations are not the will of God. Why should some be orthodox and some charismatic? Why can't we be both? Why can't orthodox churches be passionate about spiritual? Did the word of God not say that we should desire spiritual gifts? And why should charismatic churches not be orthodox? What's the excuse? God wants our fire to be brilliant. God wants our passion to be intelligent. It should all be backed up with the word of God. That's his desire. That's his plan. One mind, one mouth. It says no divisions among you. It says, be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Oh, isn't this wonderful? Meaning because we believe the same thing, we'll be able to judge the same way. When we're in certain situations, all right, even if the pastor is not there, because you are trained, you know the word of God, you know what to do. You know what to do. Same mind and judgment. We have the same perspective. That's God's will for the church. And whatever your views of the Catholic church may be, one thing they got right is the concept of catechism. Can I tell you something? And I'm saying this with all sense of humility, but it's also a caution. When you look at um, great Pentecostal branches or churches that have a lot of branches, you discover that it looks like from branch to branch, there's a difference in what they teach. Some branches are totally different. They have no single strand of the DNA of that ministry. In fact, so there are pastors in some churches that have another pastor as a spiritual father. And you can even tell from their DNA, from the way they, you know, there's a way you will pray. We, we will know where you got it from. We will know where you got it from. <laughs> but when you look at the orthodox churches at least that DNA is more consistent amongst them there is something the Catholics call catechism and it's just a book filled with declarations of what they believe and that's so important declarations of what they believe we believe in this we believe in that pentecostals is as the spirit leads a pentecostal can you know in a service someone can just fall down see a vision and that forms the next teaching series you will hear funny funny teachings funny they will give funny instructions. That has to change. You know, something happened in Acts chapter 15. If the church today would dare to follow what the Bible teaches in Acts chapter 15, I mean, we'll be better for it. So a lot of people, um, not a lot of people, Paul, Barnabas, Peter had discovered that the word of God was for all nations, not for the Jews. Peter learned the hard way. God had to show him a trance three times, you know, send Cornelius' servants to his house and all of that. He learned that God is not a respecter of persons. 
but that in every nation, everyone who will call upon his name is accepted before him. He didn't know that before. All right? And even if there were supernatural en encounters, all of these things were backed up with the scriptures. He said, go, Jesus said, go into all the world and teach all nations. You know. But now the, the folks in Jerusalem had some reservations. And they had a conference. Imagine the body of Christ having a conference. And prominent men of God come together to discuss doctrine. And to just hash things out once and for all. Wouldn't it be nice? Hopefully, if it won't end in blues. And the Bible says, Paul and Barnabas, you know, went there. And Peter addressed them. And after sharing, you know, they made this very salient statement in Acts chapter 15, verse 11. He says, but we believe. Oh, this is so powerful. Not just I believe, but we believe. There was a consensus, a unanimity of the faith. He says, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they, they referring to the Gentiles. We believe. By we, he was referring to Paul. By we, he was referring to Barnabas. Referring to himself. What, 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 what a perspective to ministry. Where we agree, we're perfectly united in mind and in judgment. And in a panel like that, you can say, we believe. It is, God, it's, it is God's, it's God's desire and my desire as well. That if you pick a random member of Celebration Church, he will be able to speak on our behalf. And say, we believe. This is what we believe as a church. And be articulate about it. Be confident about it. That's my desire and that's God's desire. That you know what we stand for as a church. Not just what we believe but what we emphasize. And so my charge to us today is return to diligence. Return to diligence. This phone pressing generation of which I am be, uh, I'm a part, it looks like it has reduced book study. And people don't even realize it. Just a decade ago, it wasn't too strange to see a Christian holding a book. I don't know, when was the last time you saw, how many times, how often do you see Christians holding books these days? It's very rare. When was the last time you visited a Christian library? And I'm not saying this because I want my books to sell, but out of compassion, listen, just as to out of passion for your growth, the books that I've written, have you read them? Have you? Remember, it doesn't require a blood covenant to do the beatings of Satan. You only need to be ignorant. The devil can literally get you to hold Jesus and start persuading him not to die. And you'll be doing it out of the sincerity of your heart. And the devil will be pleased. That's why you need to be studious. And so just think about it. Yeah, of course, for, for people who prefer ebooks, because I'm seeing somebody saying ebooks, if you prefer ebooks, that's fine. The most important thing, I don't care the platform, the most important thing is your reading. Your reading. And ebook platforms are limited, I dare say. They are still limited. Go to an actual bookstore and buy, and then whilst you're reading on your tab on your phone, there are a lot of pop-ups, a lot of distractions. How about you just get an actual book? And I'm not being behind by saying this. Distractions are distractions, all right? So have a goal. Like 
we're already in the month of March. Have you read a book? And this applies to every aspect of your life, but I'm talking specifically about, you know, read. Be studious. John 5.39. Just imagine Jesus telling people. He told the Jews, he says, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Search. Listen, you don't really believe in me. Just read. Listen, if they took this advice, they would not have enlisted themselves in the army of Satan to propagate the great wickedness that God actually turned out for good eventually. The devil meant it for evil. God turned it for good. Search. They didn't take this advice. It says, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. They testify of me. If only they had just done this. If only they had just done this. He said, you will not come after me. Come unto me that you may have life. Because you did not search. That's verse 40. And you will not come to me that you may have life. Search. Verse 46. He said, if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me. He said, Moses wrote about me. Just, just study. It is going to take a little more diligence. Nathaniel knew this. He went and he said, come and see the person of whom Moses wrote about in the law. So how is it that some people knew it and others did not? They failed to search. They failed to search. And as I round off, I just want to reiterate. Paul talked about the concept of enduring doctrine. Because sometimes it will get under your skin. Especially, I know what it's like. I remember the first time years ago when I preached and I said, if you don't tithe, no devourer will devour you. One lady vowed. She told someone, she said, I will never step in this church again. Well, she came back. <laughs> it's not easy to leave Celebration Church. If you go, you will likely come back. But the reality is she vowed not to step foot in our church again. She vowed. And I was fascinated. I was just like, are you this desperate to be devout? I thought it's good news that the devil will not be for you. But someone said that and it made you annoyed. <laughs> I couldn't understand it. But sometimes it gets under your skin when what you hear you're not used to hearing. But you, listen, you have to develop a mentality that enables you to receive. Listen, James said, Lay aside that superfluity of naughtiness. Stop being naughty. You're just naughty. It says, receive the engrafted word that is able to save your soul. Stop this. You're just naughty. Sit down and settle with the word. Endure sound doctrine. It's going to take some painstaking efforts. It's going to take diligence. Sit down. This month, we are going to test all things. The Bible says test all things and hold on to what is true. I'm going to dwell on that next week. Test all things. We're going to test all things. Why do we do what we do? I know this is popular in the church, but is that what the word of God teaches? And we're going to lay it all bare. And you better be ready. If you love the Lord, you will love his word. Whether it is popular or not. When Jesus preached, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't like what he was saying. When he finished preaching once, some of the disciples came to tell him, said, oh, the Pharisees, they didn't like what you were saying. He replied, he said, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted out. Hallelujah. 
And that's, that's, that's our approach as Bible students. This is not a game of popularity. Let God be true and all men liars. Hallelujah. Just worship him right now. Worship him right now and thank him. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.